As a counselor, I hear so many stories of people stuck, stuck in fears and insecurities and shames and brokenness. Um, and my heart is not just for walking journeys with people in the counseling room, but is also for inspiring and, 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 and equipping and empowering uh, people to walk in the fullness of what we were created for. Um, and so today I want to speak into a space that I think um, many people find themselves stuck in uh, because of fears and insecurities. And I really believe that God's got a divine appointment for every single one of us this evening. Um, and, and even as we were singing that song, you know, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, I believe that there are some here that because of shame and because of their stuff, they almost feel like they don't know how to turn their eyes to him. But I feel like God is wanting to say, you know what? You may not know how to lift your eyes to me right now, but my eyes are on you. And I, and I want to meet with you tonight. And so all I want to ask of you is a willingness to say, okay, I'm here. I don't know if you're going to meet me because I'm feeling a little bit skeptical, but that's okay. Because I know the God that we serve and I know his heart um, and I know he really does have something for every single one of you. Let me start off by asking you a question. How many of you have ever felt forgotten? Where maybe you have felt ignored or unseen or unimportant or just irrelevant. Maybe you have felt insignificant or just, you know, that, that who you are just actually has no value or purpose. Or maybe you felt silenced and that what you feel doesn't matter to anybody. Maybe you have felt forgotten by friends or siblings or a parent or even a spouse. Maybe you've even felt forgotten by God where you just feel like God's got something for everybody but me. And uh, let me ask you it slightly differently. How many of you have feared that you may be forgotten? How many of you have, have held back from leaning in because what if? What if somebody doesn't respond? What if somebody, you know, lets me down? And, and, and maybe underneath this kind of fear are the, are the questions of, do I actually matter to others? Do I actually matter to, to, to God? And so often the idea or even the potential of pain can paralyze us from stepping into possible opportunities. The potential of getting hurt or rejected kind of fuels these fears. And being forgotten or invisible or unseen is actually one of the most painful of human experiences because we're wired for connection. I once was, um, when I lived in London, I was trying to catch a, a train to, um, to college. I was studying at the time and uh, I was running for the train, it was one of those kind of days, and there was, a, there was a homeless guy sitting in the subway, and he shouted out to me, hey, you know, how's about a coffee? And I was like, you know, one of those movie moments, like, sorry, dude, I'm late, and I got onto the train, and, um, but I actually ended up missing the train. So I walked back, and I was like, well, you're in luck today, I'll get you a coffee. And anyway, got this guy a coffee, I thought I'll wait for the next train. I ended up sitting with him for six hours that day. 
And I, I was asking him all sorts of questions about why he was homeless and what, you know, what it was like living. And he said, for him, the hardest thing about being homeless is being invisible to people. He says, you know, people may not have something to give to me. He says, but if someone just gives me their eyes and goes, I see you. The power of that space is so healing. And I think for us as women, we are such nurturers by nature that for us, it's easy to be on the giving end of care. But very often, it's hard for us to be on the receiving end. Because you see, when you're on the giving end, people need you. It's harder to be rejected when you're giving. But when you're needing and you're needing to receive, so often that's the space where we fear that we're going to be rejected. How many of you may spend hours in your mind ruminating on the potential of being rejected? And so many of us live in this mindset that, you know what, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable enough, I'm, there's something not enough about me. And we can spend hours in our minds. And one of the things that I think is so important for us to understand when it comes to our minds is that our mind is the space where the enemy wants to attack. I want to start off this reading a scripture in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says this, we are humans, but we don't wage war as humans because we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, and we capture rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. That word thought is the word neoma. Say neoma. Okay, now you're all fluent in Greek. Okay, neoma. Neoma means a thought with an evil intention. A thought with an evil intention. You see, every thought that comes into your mind doesn't always originate from you. The Bible also talks about us to hold up the shield of faith so we can extinguish the fiery arrows of the enemy. How many of you have seen movies like Braveheart and Mr. Mel Gibson, you know? Is that showing my age? Gosh, okay. <laughs> and you know in those kind of movies, the enemy would get an arrow, dip it in fuel, light it, and fire it into the thatch of their enemy's house with the hope that it would burn it from the top down. That's how the enemy works. He throws fiery arrows into the thatch of your mind with the hope that it will burn it from the top down, that it will rob, steal, and destroy your identity, your potential, and your purpose. You see, if the enemy can't stop you from becoming a Christ follower, he's going to do everything in his power to make you an ineffective one. And the way he makes you ineffective is if he can get you to believe that you're not enough, that God can't use you, that you don't have potential and purpose, that you're unlovable, then it keeps you stuck in fear. And fear makes our world incredibly small. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. That word scheme is the same word, neoma. And the Bible speaks so much into this. And the reality is, the only power the enemy's words have over us is if we agree with him. Only power the enemy's words have over you is if you agree with it. You see, once you agree with a thought, it turns it into a belief, 
which then fuels a behavior. Now, what's interesting when you go back to that scripture in 2 Corinthians 10, it says that we need to knock down strongholds of human reasoning. A stronghold is, is like a fortress, or it's also described as any kind of behavior I engage in as a form of safety. Counselors will call this a defense mechanism, a self-protective strategy. If the story I'm telling myself is that I'm unlovable and that God can't use me, then that's the story I'm telling myself. If I agree with that and it becomes a belief, that belief is going to drive the behavior of avoidance and, and, and withdrawal. And I'm not going to lean into opportunities if I'm fearing that I'm not enough. And the Bible says we need to knock down, we need to demolish strongholds, strongholds of the behaviors I engage in to protect myself because I don't believe I'm enough. It holds me back. It robs us of living. It robs us of potential. It robs us of freedom to just be you. And so, so many people live lives hiding and they live their lives in fear. And our instinct is to give it to others, but to hide it for ourselves. And we put on what I call our fine faces. Do you know what fine stands for? Feeling insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> How many got fine faces on? How many of you, when someone's gone, how are you doing? You go, I'm fine, praise the Lord. <laughs> but we're dying on the inside. And I'm so grateful we don't have to wear masks anymore. Yeah. Are you with me on that one? But I want to see a culture where we start to take our fine face masks off, where we start to be authentic and real about what's really going on inside of us. You see, so many of us fear that if I show who I am, I'm going to get rejected because there's something not wrong with me. I can't tell you how many people in the counseling room believe that they are the only one struggling. Let me ask you this quickly. How many of you in the last month have felt overwhelmed? How many of you in the last month have felt fear and insecurities? Alone? Shame? How many of you noticed how many hands went up? We're not alone. It's time we start being authentically honest. About two, three months ago, I went through an experience. I was ministering at a church in Howick. And um, it almost felt like God had a divine moment with me in the middle of worship. I was about to preach. It was the middle of worship. The, the guy was singing a, wor a prophetic worship song. And it felt like one of those beam me up Scotty moments. You know, when there's like a light that's just on you and no one else. And it's like God's spirit came on me. And I just started crying through the worship. And then the pastor was like, right, it's you, you to get up. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me, you know. Snot, tears, puffy eyes. I said to my mate, I'm okay. She's like, you're fine. <laughs> Got up here, looked horrendous. And for 10 days after that, I cried nonstop. I woke up crying. I went to sleep crying. If I thought about worship, I cried. If I engaged in worship, I cried. If I thought about what I song I just had in worship, I, I mean, it was just ridiculous. Like, my husband's like, are you going through early menopause or something? Like, what? <laughs> And in that space, God was starting, it's almost like he took off a piece of scar tissue because there were spaces in my world where I'd experienced what it felt like to be forgotten through my own mom, through friendships, and none of it was from heart. 
It's just love. And it didn't feel like a big wound, but it was just a, an anar wound. You know one of those ones where you can just, oh, it's fine. And you just shrug it off. And I felt like God was saying, it's not fine because you matter. Everything that you go through matters to me. And he led me to the scripture in Isaiah 49, 15. It says this, can a mother forget the infant at her breast and walk away from the baby she bore? And when you think about that question, if you're a mother, you think about, can a mother forget her child? And, and the answer is not likely. But yet, it's possible that a woman can be so broken to the point where her own natural instinct becomes blurred and unnatural that she can forget a child. And it's never the heart of a person that wants to hurt. It's their hurt. It's their brokenness. It's their, it's their, it's their, it's their deep pain that can often cause us to be sidetracked by our own natural ability. And God said to me in this moment, because I know what it feels like to be forgotten by a mother, and God said to me, you know what? As a father, and technically we look at the father and go, well, you know, moms are cooler than fathers. <laughs> and often we think it's beyond a father's scope to nurture as much as a mother can. But here's God's response to the scripture. Can a mother forget the infant at her breast and walk away from the baby she bore? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. This is the heart of the God we serve. I will not forget you. And God started to intimately remind me that every pain matters to him. Every rejection, no matter how big or small, every disappointment, every hurt that we often just shrug off because we want to just carry on, everything matters to him. You see, God's nurturing compassion infinitely exceeds that of the most tenderest parental heart towards their child. To me, that's mind-blowing. Before I became a mom, I remember sitting in a, in a staff meeting. I was working at a church in Durban. And, you know, sometimes in these staff meetings, you would kind of talk about and pray about stuff in your life. And I was sitting in a group with just a bunch of moms. I wasn't a mom at the time. And they were talking about their babies, and they were going, oh, my child, you know, you just makes me cry. I just love my child so much. And I was like, oh, get a grip. You know? <laughs> A few years later, I'm now a mom. I just had my firstborn, and we were doing a similar exercise. And I was telling them the story about how the night before, we were saying grace over dinner. And I was saying, oh, Lord, thank you for this food, and thank you for my baby. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've become like one of them. But <laughs> and the reason why I'm starting with this is because I want you to take away one thing tonight. That the God we serve is able to meet you where you're at because he loves you so intimately well. And I know that there are many of us that are walking with limps and pains and insecurities and every single one of these experiences matter to him. The reality is it's impossible to walk in the full ability of God's power for you when you don't trust in his nurturing heart. 
It is impossible to walk in the full power and plan and potential that God has for you when you're holding back because you don't trust his nurturing heart. And today I want to speak into the fact that really God has got you. When I was studying to become a counselor, uh, we were third-year students, and we, were, we had a, an experiential weekend. We were t learning different techniques in counseling, and often they would bring in specialists who would kind of train you in some of these spaces. And we were given a brief that we were going to do a weekend away where this woman was going to come in and minister to, to those who felt like God was going to do something in their hearts. And I was, I was at a sp space where I was so excited about God. I was falling more and more in love with him. And I was ready for God to do a healing. You know when you're just re like almost ripe and ready? Okay. So I went away on this weekend and I was like, yo, God's going to do this. And I had this idea in my mind of how God was going to meet me. And so Friday night, the woman says to the group of us students, who wants to go first? And I was like, choose me. Like, amped, you know. And um, she chose somebody else. I was like, okay, it's fine, you know. Somebody else can go first. The best goes last. That's cool. <laughs> anyway, next session, who wants to go first? Put my hand up. Chose somebody else. Saturday morning came. She's like, who wants to go first? And I'm not so excited anymore. I'm like, you know. <laughs> Ignored me again. Next session comes along. Who wants to go like, I'm just getting more and more bummed, like totally gutted. By the end of that Saturday, I was raging inside. All those old emotions of rejected and not enough just came rising to the surface, and I was fuming. You know when you start ruminating? You know, God, I'm, I'm here. I showed up. You were nowhere to be found. Typical. I know what that feels like, you know, and I was just angry, and I was sitting at dinner that night, just pushing my food around, and one of my lecturers came, and she sat down next to me, she was a supervisor, and she could see I wasn't in a good space, and she started telling me some random story of a cat that was injured, that she had nurtured, and I was like, I really don't want to hear this, and anyway, I rudely then just stick my head on the table to ignore her, and God starts talking to me. And he says to me, Mads, I want you to look at your thumbs. And I'm like, what are my thumbs? And I was holding both my thumbs like that. He says, whenever you're feeling rejected and forgotten, you start to self-soothe by holding your own thumbs. So I was like, yes, so? <laughs> you know, when you're stroppy, angry. <laughs> and he says to me, I want you to stick out your thumbs and ask your supervisor to hold them. <laughs> I'm like, you've got to be kidding. She was, she was German as well. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, there is no way. And like, we had a bit of an argument and he won. S stick up my thumbs and I, I didn't even want to look my eyes up because I was too embarrassed. I said, God's told me you need to hold my thumbs. <laughs> Can you picture it? <laughs> anyway, she grabbed hold of both my thumbs and I cracked. I sobbed and I sobbed, and I, I sobbed myself to sleep. I woke up, it was around 10 o'clock in the evening, pitch black, everyone had left the canteen, and she was still sitting there holding my thumbs. Now I'm really embarrassed. I'm like, <laughs> hi. <laughs> anyway, she knew God was up to something, and she kind of quietly left, 
And the next morning, the, the lady was like, hey, Mads, like, it's your turn. She said, God actually told me not to call you up. And I was like, don't worry. He met me. I'm sorted. Like, I don't need to come up anymore. Like, and I tell you the story because so often we put God in a box of how we think he's going to do something. But God knows exactly what we need that is so tailor-made for every single one of us. Months later, I never told many people about this because, I mean, it's not those kind of stories that you tell people, you know. Months later, we were doing a similar exercise as students again, and we were each given a lump of clay, and we were told to prayerfully pray over this clay and ask God what he wanted us to make with it for the person sitting on our left. Don't ask me what I made. No idea. But I was sitting next to a guy called Angelo. He was this Italian guy. He was the only person on the course that I was studying. He was a father. And he made me this lump of clay, and he gave it to me, and it looked like a deformed shell. And I was like, what is this? He said, God told me to take this lump of clay and to squeeze it so it made an imprint of the inside of my hand because God wanted to give you something new to hold on to. I've still got that lump of clay. It's like 25 years old. And it's the most precious thing I have because God knows I'm a very tactile, visual person. And he knew I needed something new to hold on to. You see, God knows you so intimately well that he knows how to provide exactly for what you need in order for you to heal. And it, it, it kind of was the starting point of my journey of understanding how intimately well the Father knows us and what we need to heal. Ephesians 2, I mean 3 verse 20 says this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And I'm, I'm drawing your attention to three words, is able and power. Those words, is able, is the word dynamē, which is an inherent ability because of the power one has. So God has this inherent ability because of a power he has. And the word power is dynamis, which is the inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of his nature. So put these three words together. God has an inherent ability to do what is his inherent power already allows him to do by virtue of his nature. In other words, he's got the ability, he's got the power, it's already in his heart. This is what he wants to do. He wants to meet you where you are because it's in his ability and it's in his power. So there are three core things that I want you to walk away with today. The first, God is able to meet you where you are at. There's a beautiful story of a woman in scripture in John chapter 4 who lived a life of avoidance because she had deep shame. She'd been married to five guys. She was now living with a guy, and she would go and draw water in the middle of the day because she knew that was the safest time to not have to see anybody. Most people in those times would draw water in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening, not in the middle of the day. She chose to go in the middle of the day because of her own shames. She was stuck in the stronghold of isolation and loneliness. And Jesus meets her in that space. In John 4 verse 4, it says this, talking about Jesus. Now, he had to go through Samaria. 
So when you read a line like that, your mind should be going, why did he have to go through Samaria? In actual fact, Jews in those days hated the Samaritans. They would intentionally walk an extra three-day journey around Samaria to avoid going through Samaria. That's how much they hated them. You know, quick shortcut, no, I don't like these guys. Let's rather take a three-day detour to avoid these people, okay? And so Jesus meets her and asks her for a glass of water, not a glass of water, to draw water. And what's interesting to note, I'm just going to quickly look it up. It says he had to go through Samaria, and when he asks her for water, she goes, you're a Jew, I am a Samaritan woman, she disqualified herself by her ethnic religion and her gender. I'm not enough. How many of you have spent a life comparing? I can't do because I am not. We disqualify ourselves and our values and our mindsets because of what we believe we are not. Why are you asking me was the question she asked Jesus. Jesus didn't answer her question. He answered her question with a question. He says, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to. He's more interested in you understanding who he is, that he is able and he has power to bring life change into your life. Scripture says he had to go through Samaria. Why? Because he had a divine appointment with a woman caught in shame. He had a divine appointment with a woman who was caught in bondage and insecurities and fears and a life of avoidance and a life that was small because the enemy was robbing her from her potential. He had to go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment with a woman who that when she started to understand who he was, you know what she did? She leaves her bucket and goes to the people that she'd been avoiding and she starts evangelizing. You see, when you have a divine appointment with Jesus, he starts to use you in the most incredible ways to bring other people to him. God had to come here tonight because he knew you were going to be here tonight. His heart is to find you, to comfort you, to connect with you, no matter where you're hiding or what you're struggling with. And during worship, I felt like there are some people here that have got just shame sitting on them, that is holding them back from actually lifting their eyes. They don't know that, you know, when, when somebody sits with shame, shame is an identity crippling emotion. Guilt is, I, I made a mistake. Shame is, I am a mistake. There's something wrong with me. And Jesus wants to say to you now, there's nothing wrong with you. And he wants you tonight to raise your chin so he can eyeball you. He wants you to see your value by looking into his eyes. The second thing, God is able to restore you according to the plan he has for you. You see, his heart is to put you back together again. He's in the restoration business. I want to read you a, a Psalm, uh, Psalm 18, 20 to 24. This is the message version. It says this. God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. When I got my act together, he gave me a fresh start. Now I am alert to God's ways. 
I don't take God for granted. Every day I review the way he works. I try not miss a trick because I feel put back together and I'm watching my step because God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. You see, the reality is God is able to restore you according to the plan he has for you. My youngest son loves playing Lego. You know when you get those pieces and there's like four of these pieces with three of these pieces and and as he slowly follows the manual, suddenly he creates this masterpiece. Listen to this, Psalm 139 verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. So here's what I want you to understand. Imagine building a Lego masterpiece, dropping it, and it shatters into a million pieces. That's how some of us feel in our lives. Like, We started off life, and somewhere along the life, stuff happened to us, and we dropped and got shattered into a thousand pieces. Now, if a person doesn't have that booklet to rebuild that masterpiece, it almost feels hopeless, doesn't it? Like, how do I start rebuilding this when I don't have a blueprint to build this masterpiece again? This scripture says, before you were born... He wrote about you in a book. He dreamed about you. You see, every artist, every creator starts off by doodling their dream. They write about what they want to create. You were dreamed of by a dreamer. You were planned by a planner. You were designed by a designer. You were built by a builder. You were fashioned by a fashioner. You were sculpted by a sculptor. You were knit by a knitter. How cool is that? God knows every inch of you because he planned you. And we don't have to live in a place of hopelessness going, how on earth do I start this journey? We just need to go to the one and say to him, hey, God, you've got my design, my book up there. Can you pull it out and help put me back together again? He is able to restore because he is a God of restoration. The third point is God is able to empower you to walk in the fullness of the plans he already has for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. All you need to do is be faithful to the step in front of you. I spent years of my life thinking God can't use me. When I went to school, you got the A class, the B class, the C class, skip a few, you got the G class. And G didn't stand for good grades. I was there. I barely passed high school. I ended up going to get a trade in hairdressing because I couldn't get into varsity, but hairdressers are undercover counselors. You see, God uses all things. I eventually got into Bible college, not because of my grades, but because of my age. But I was so insecure for many of my high school years that I used to stutter. I would come to events like this going, there's no ways God can use me. I can't even speak properly. I speak simple knees. I can't even spell properly. And it disqualified me thinking, you know what, there's no ways God can use me for anything. And then a friend once said to me, if God can use a donkey... 
And then I started realizing, you know what? I'm not going to live a life of fear anymore. All I'm going to do is be faithful to the step that God has put in front of me. And if you're faithful to this step, God lights up the next one. And that's what my journey has been, of just being faithful to the step. Ephesians 3 verse 20, now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. I still today look at my life and I go, I, I honestly have no idea how I got here. I recently had my first book published. When you, when you hand in a manuscript to editors, they've got light editing, medium editing, heavy editing. Mine found a new category. <laughs> but you know what? I'm a confidently bad speller who knows her value in God. Who cares about the stuff that we think the world's going to go, you know what? God can't use you because you can't spell. Rubbish. He can use donkeys. He can use me. He can use you. And this is exciting news. This is like when you start to step into the fullness of what God has planned for you, it is the most incredible journey that you will ever go on. And all it takes is one step. Is saying, God, here I am, use me. And if you wake up every single day saying, Lord, here I am, use me, you will never look back. Because you see, we are living in a world right now where people need messengers of hope. People need to know that there's something to hold on to in a, in, a, in a world that is in a storm of uncertainty where anxiety is going through the roof. People need messengers of hope. You're it. Because you're going to come across people that I'm not going to come across, that Fiona's not going to come across, that Candace's not going to come across, that Mark's not going to come across, but you are because God has placed you there, whether you're a hairdresser or a, or a, or a packet filler or who knows what, but you're there because God has divine appointments for even those in the world that are in places of hopelessness. God can use you and he is able. All you need to do is, number one, open the doors of your heart. Align your mind to your actual value. You made, Psalm 139, 14 says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me wonderfully complex. Too many women sit there thinking, I'm complex and it's bad. No, scripture says it's wonderful. Say it, I am wonderfully complex because God made me that way. His workmanship is marvelous. Do you know you're made by value? I remember as a kid cutting out labels to sew them onto new clothes to keep myself feeling cool. <laughs> you know, labels determine a value. Forget about Gucci and Prada. You were made by a father who loves you. So I want you to stand with me. And I don't know where you're at. And maybe you're sitting here tonight still feeling forgotten. But your heart is beating right now and you're wondering, you're going, I'm ready to put up my hand, but what if God doesn't? You know what? I don't know if it's going to be tonight or somewhere in your journey, but I do know God will meet you. And so if you're feeling, you know what? I'm tired of living small. I'm tired of living in fear. I'm tired of living forgotten. 
I want you just to put your hands out and just say, Lord, I'm here. Meet me where I'm at. I'm ready to have a divine encounter with you. Because God wants to meet you. There are some people here that are filled with shame and they don't know how to lift their eyes up. I want you in an act of faith to say, I'm no longer going to be looking down. I'm going to be looking up. I'm looking out for the eyes of my Father. And I want to just pray of you guys and we're going to enter into a time of worship now. now. I don't want you to leave here tonight kicking yourself, going, you know what? I knew I wanted to step out, but I'm just so scared. I, I want you to take a bold step of faith and to say, God, I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm, I'm, I'm here. And so, Father, I want to lift up every woman. I can see some are in tears already. Some of God is meeting you already. And, Father, I just pray for your healing. Father, I just pray for, for that divine appointment that you are meeting hearts today that are filled with shame and fear. And you're just saying, you are my beloved. I love you. I am pleased with you. You're my daughter. You're the apple of my eye. You're wonderful. You're divine. You're chosen. I love you. Father, I pray where there has been scar tissue that has caused pain, that has caused a restriction of movement, won't you break scar tissues today off hearts? Scar tissue that has held people back out of fear of stepping into deepening relationships. Scar tissue that has held people back from being vulnerable because of a fear of rejection. Lord, won't you break off that scar tissue and start to massage back into life the way you knit every single one of these women to be. No more are we gonna be held back from living in the fullness of what you have for us. No more. tender before him. Pour out your heart. Talk to him. The prayer of the pastor is not more powerful than you. Your voice is important to the Father. He wants to hear your voice. Cry out to him. Tell him your pains. Talk to him what you desire from him.